Hello and welcome to the Airline Business Podcast, discussing key news and trends in the global airline sector. This time, airlines around the globe continue to ground capacity while attention turns to the financial bailout and what the industry will look like when it comes out the other side. I'm joined as ever by my airline business colleague, Lewis Harper. Hi, Graham. How are you? Yeah, yeah, we're sort of settling into um, a slightly strange rhythm of, well, like like everyone, not only this isolated uh, working, so we're again not in the studio, we're, we're using the modern technology that everyone has, has grown used to um, and has made, um, you're on mute, a, a regular, uh, a, a regular <laughs> shout out across all meetings across uh, the world. And obviously, this, this really strange environment for, for the airline industry, which is at you know, essentially, from a scheduled passenger service uh, side of things, at a standstill. Certainly, in Europe, there's a sense emerging that we're at the uh, the, the kind of point where we we're you know all but um, your essential services are operating. So the vast majority of fleets are completely grounded. Obviously, even since the last pod, that that's moved on. So uh, EasyJet were the latest carrier to essentially announce that their their fleets entirely grounded so and beyond that obviously there's a bit more connectivity in some other regions we we continue to hear that um the one potentially bright spot is in china domestically where the uh, connectivity is um is is on an upward trend certainly on domestic flights according to to most reports but generally across the world um again making any kind of judgments um for sure at the moment is is is, is um, foolish, essentially, but but we know that maybe there's slightly more connectivity still in North America, America for example, where um, indeed some of the aid package that's been talked about um, includes caveats around some connectivity being maintained. But um, but certainly we're we're at kind of at a point where um, it's it's kind of eerily quiet um, in terms of the amount of flying going on. And I think what you've seen is, you know, there's definitely within this, we're now reaching the stage where the flights that are still operating, especially within Europe, uh, you know, many of them are, are repatriation flights or are essential service flights. Most of them seem to be based around, you know, d- domestic or or kind of very localised regional connections to keep those kind of services going. And of course, there's been a growing trend to see airlines operating passenger aircraft in, uh, in on cargo missions. That's it. So um, where I am now, um, I you can still hear aircraft flying overhead and relatively close to Heathrow. Um, and obviously, yes, um, beyond the, the cargo flight, they're operating already. Um, we are seeing some carriers starting to use um, um, certainly uh, wide bodies um, for um for cargo operators, and you, you've actually spoken to Etihad recently, haven't you, about on a number of topics, but that was certainly one of the, the interesting things to come out of your discussion with Tony Douglas. Yes, absolutely. We spoke to, I, I spoke to Tony Douglas uh, last week, pretty much on the, on the on the day of the grounding. It was a pretty hectic day for, for, for him. Um, Etihad and Emirates had both suspended flights uh, in line with the UAE's government um, advice around it. And... You know, I think it was really interesting because you could see how uh, he talked a lot about the adaptability of the airline and, and, and especially mm. 
structuring it, it, it's been through or it continues to go through. You know, I think about a quarter of their their cargo capacity was was in was in the freighters, and the rest was all in the belly hold of uh, passenger craft. So obviously, when you're not operating those passenger aircraft, there's there's this huge demand there. So one of the things that they did was was to bring their uh, 787 passenger aircraft back into uh, into service on on cargo routes. And we've seen that sort of echoed across operators, uh, you know, increasingly looking to deploy those aircraft to provide that, you know, that fill-in for the belly hole capacity, which is obviously, which has left the market as a byproduct of the of the grounding of scheduled passenger flights. Yeah, and um, obviously other carriers are doing this on a, a smaller or possibly larger scale. In some cases, I think what's going to be interesting as this story develops is. Um, so you look at China, for example, where there's a sense the economy is starting to bounce back and um, industrial production is, is growing. But the, the issue we'll have is we'll reach a point where clearly if we're heading straight from this um, yeah, medical crisis into a, an economic one, that the, um, the demand for, for freight um, is likely to, to fall as a result. So, um, so it's all very well, for example, China churning out you know lots of products that are usually purchased by in western markets for example but um obviously demand for them is going to be is going to be way down at the moment and possibly looking more into the medium term if um if we do get the economic shock that um appears likely so i don't think um we can obviously view this kind of uh, cargo option as a as a silver bullet for anything i think very much a, a, a temporary kind of bonus or sort of opportunity, I guess, or, or, or taking mm. off, you know, a very major crisis for airlines. And IATA's Director General, uh, Alexander Dejuniak, was asked, you know, around around this. And, you know, he was quick to point out the volatility of the, the ups and downs of the of the freight market that airlines have been used to. And, um, you know, mm. ironically, it, it shows how extraordinarily quickly different markets can change. I mean, um Cargo had been through a horrendous year, had had its worst year, you know, in a decade or so. So um, uh, leading up to it, and then suddenly, you know, it, yeah, there's there's this untapped demand. That's it, and we'll be um, obviously there's, there's there's a lag in the figures we get for cargo, so a, a month or two. So it will be interesting to see how that develops. But um, um, and you know, uh, that it certainly is if you're looking for a, a bright spot in the, the industry, it's one. Of the few, but um, yeah, obviously, with with the usual caveats that um, that there are going to be possibly increasing pressures on on that sector before long, as well. And I think another thing that was interesting coming out of your interview with Tony Douglas was around the what airlines are able to do during this period to um, you know that, that trying to find uh, maybe some activities they can undertake that they couldn't do when the whole, you know the fleets in the air all the time that kind of thing. Um, he, he outlined a couple of things to you. Is that right? Yeah, um, it, I mean, it's interesting. There's, it's, I mean, it's a really odd thing for an airline, uh, which is fundamentally trying to keep their aircraft. And we've seen this, you know, real trend to it as as utilisation levels have, have have increased over this over this last decade in particular. They are trying to keep their aircraft in the air as much as possible. So to find them on the ground, your whole fleet on the ground is just. Um, it's just extraordinary and actually you know it does provide some opportunities you know there's an opportunity potentially to move some some maintenance 
the work forward, dependent on capacity with their with their maintenance providers. They were talking about using this time to to sort of polish up, you know, the interiors to you know all those kind of wet mm-hmm. those scratches, scrapes, bits and pieces that stuff that never stop an aircraft flying. But it's a real opportunity to tidy that up, you know, non-essential software updates. So. It is an opportunity for for airlines to, to do this, and also to start thinking and preparing, you know, how they are going to return to services, you know, and and mm. it's clear that actually you can't second guess where is going to be flying next, where the restrictions will be lifted, and and so you, you need some agility in terms of what type of aircraft you deploy and the ability to deploy. And I know you've been speaking this morning to um, Air Baltics chief executive. Um, Martin Gauss, who's who sort of talked through a bit more about their readiness for, for how they hope to respond. Yeah, so obviously the the Latvian carrier that, that um, kind of serves the, the Baltic states, we had them on the, um, I did an interview with him in late last year for the cover of Airline Business, which, and that's available on flightglobal.com, but obviously um, in a relatively strong position, unusually a small carrier in Europe that that seemed to be doing pretty well. And speaking to him this morning, yeah, similar themes emerge around um, you know, using this time for aircraft maintenance for software updates on the AT20s, but also, yeah, talking about making decisions now that maybe, um, i.e. around fleet, that they're now talking about um, removing the uh, Dash 8s and 737s from the fleet permanently so that they won't come back into Air Baltic's fleet. They were always aiming to become a an all A220 operator, but now they've they've formulated a plan really based on um, they've set the business up now so it's ready to go when when the restrictions allow. So they've basically got a plan where they'll start with five A220s going back into service, and they're set up to do that kind of um, and very quickly. So yeah, everyone's in place for that to happen, and then um, as markets come back, they'll be adding uh, one aircraft per week, for example, into service if. The market dictates. So, um, so alongside those kind of, there, there are decisions being made around um, you know, permanent, possibly changes to, to the business and and the fleet. That you know, airlines are obviously in a position now where they do have to be planning for how they can get those fleets back in. And and around that, of course, that there's all sorts of considerations around when you've got some um, aircraft grounded for an extended period. And the impact that has on on the metal itself, but also on on staff and training. Um, and uh, Martin Gauss was talking about um, for Air Baltic, they'll be possibly flying some of the aircraft, just doing touch and goes um, at Riga to uh, to keep the aircraft and 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 the crew in a, a ready to fly state. So. Um, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. This is a quiet period in terms of flying, but to, to keep the the airline in a position where obviously all of them, this the second there's a, a space to come back, they're going to be one, wanting to be ready. And it's, it's interesting talking to to uh, airlines specifically about that. And we'll have um, much more from that interview um, on um, flightglobal.com soon and in our next issue of Airline Business. It's also worth pointing out there's a great article written by Greg in our um, Asia Bureau, specifically around the um, challenges about having aircraft grounded and and covering all sorts of issues like um, 
even down to animals getting inside the aircraft when they're grounded, insects, for example, nesting, whatever. There's so many um, different challenges that airlines <laughs> differ from region to region. And um, that's another great piece which you'll find in the, the notes for this um, podcast. So, um, and we're trying to talk to as many um, airline CEOs as possible. So certainly more to come on, on that side of things as well. Flight Global has launched a series of webinars featuring leading industry executives and analysts from around the world to dissect how different parts of the aviation sector are navigating the coronavirus crisis. Listen to these on demand at flightglobal.com forward slash webinar. One of the other things that, that certainly happened in this period as well is, is obviously with airlines grounded, you know, we have started to see governments starting to put together, you know, what the government approach in terms of funding is going to look like in terms of how airlines will be kept going over this period. And you've seen really, you know, it's really clear that there's hugely differing approaches, be that. You know, sort of, we've seen blanket aid or finance packages announced, you know, huge amounts in some countries and in others. You know, it's going to be in a much more case by case basis. You know, decisions are still, airlines still having to knock on the door. And I think that, and that sort of also created, you know, there's the wider debate about of how airlines should be kept going and should money be spent on this and, and so forth. It's going to be a, a, a huge issue over these coming weeks. It is, yeah. So we've um, obviously, for like Global, been doing a started a series of webinars, um, which you can sign up to on, on flightglobal.com. In the first one, Chris Tarry, um, the, the analyst who, who writes for airline business, raised this kind of moral dilemma faced by governments because um, there's clearly an imperative to, to keep this connectivity and potential connectivity in place for when restrictions are lifted. But at the same time, there's so many different priorities and people, industries, you know, there's an industry that's untouched by this. So, um, there are a lot of people who and businesses that that need propping up at the moment. Um, so that there's that that moral dilemma around it. But um, but certainly the, um, the the near term challenge is is keeping airlines solvent. And and as you say, we are seeing um, either specific aid packages or or help around the payment of um, salaries to to keep airlines going through this period. And and IATA um, in their latest briefing specifically highlighted the the cash burn that airlines are going to be experiencing in the the second quarter that's just begun obviously april may june where you know a lot, a lot of cases there's going to be almost zero revenue so and of course not only zero revenue but they have the challenge of existing sold tickets that mm. that aren't flown and 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 clearly how those are refunded and and what you know the, some countries have gone down the route uh, where they've allowed airlines to issue vouchers instead of, of a refund of money. That, again, that sort of raises issues. I mean, it feels like a basic right uh, that you should be able to be refunded your money. Arguably, you're going to pay one way or the other. You, you are going to pay. You either have to pay, you either get the money back from, you know, if you get your money back from a, from a refund, the government is probably going to have to to bail out airlines and probably use taxpayer money to do that. So there's a, um, yeah. there's a circle that there's probably no simple answer on this, but it, it raises an interesting debate. And, and I think this is a point that came up on, on um, the the webinar that uh, Flight Club had this morning, which had three former um, airline chief executives in there, um, Tony Tyler, Christoph Miller and Monty Brewer. And Tony Tyler, who was uh, a former IATA director general as well, who was chief executive of Cathay Pacific. And and he was making the point that, you know, governments are in a difficult position in, ter- in terms of, of how, you know, the fairness of 
you know, which airlines are are safe, which airlines or which airlines are helped uh, given them given the money, and you could certainly see state-owned carriers getting those bailouts and guarantees and so forth. But then, what do you do with secondary carriers or private carriers, and how does that distort things afterwards? It's a, it's a really really challenging picture. So, just to say, you wonder whether the um, yeah we could emerge from this with um, and it's not impossible to imagine the with um, an industry that feels like it's kind of gone back couple of decades where there were a lot more state-owned or certainly carriers with where the government has a significant stake in in them and yeah the the, the concern is there around the, the kind of secondary operators which we already know particularly in Europe are, are very vulnerable even sometimes at the best of times so um, yeah the, the concern there is that yeah there may be a rush to save the um, the kind of flag carriers you know then traditionally viewed as kind of key assets as almost um uh, for the for the country's health and um economic well-being overall but you know the smaller carriers around the edge may get forgotten in that and i think the other thing that really came home is it, it is a really fascinating um webinar which will be available on uh, on flightglobal.com in the coming days to to replay it's it's, it's really interesting but all the what was clear from from the chief executives who had all been in charge of airlines during you know a series of crises, whether that be um, mm. the uh, Gulf War or the um, SARS, what's clear is that this is at a this crisis is at a totally different level. You know, the the others are either more temporary or been uh, you mm. know a more region based or you know in many cases were demand led. You know that people just didn't. Mm travel because of um you know economic huge understandable economic reasons or, or short-term restrictions but this this is you know this is something altogether. yeah yeah to, to put it bluntly you're kind of at the moment we're in a situation where you, in most cases you can't travel by air but also a lot of people won't want to and and you know that that's where you know and on top of that as we talked about several times we are Likely to be heading into very difficult economic conditions. So, um, so it is um, to use the word again, unprecedented. We we um, we're facing you know a demand impact at the same time as a as a, an economic impact at the same time as the health kind of situation as well. So it's as you say, the webinar was great, and hearing from people that have seen SARS and managed airlines through those kind of crises was. Was, was great to hear, but I think yeah, they all acknowledged that this is um, is likely to be on on another scale. Albeit we, you know, there are scenarios where it's not quite as bad as we imagine, and a lot where it could go on for much longer than we we imagine. What was interesting, I found from all of them, was talking about how important it was to respond quickly to the situation. That the carriers that tended to do better were, um, I guess, it's a bit chicken and egg because if you, you're able to respond more quickly if you're in a stronger position maybe to start with but it was interesting and so Teddy Tyler kind of cited the example of when he was seeing Cathay through a crisis that that someone because the the they were asked what they learned really from seeing airlines through these situations and and one interesting point was that there was um a scheme where people could um, I think go on unpaid leave um but the problem was because that was implemented you know, probably more slowly than the situation was moving. They found that when it they came to the point when they needed to sort of ramp up again after having you know most of the capacity grounded, 
they had people on leave at the wrong time. So it's quite a good kind of way of framing it. Of course, I have to say, again, we're on a very different crisis today, but certainly um, it's um, it was a key message that came across from all of the, the ex-CEOs there that, um, that being agile is, is really important. And, um, and that's why I think when we, from you were talking to Etihad, I was talking to Air Baltic recently, we you get the sense that they are very much focusing on planning for the comeback, but um, whether that, you know, that may be three or four aircraft in the air and slowly ramping up, whatever, but it but it is really important the airlines don't lose sight of um, of that. And um, and obviously a lot of cost cutting is needed, but but obviously if you go too hard and heavy on that, then you're you're kind of maybe sealing your own fate, um, whatever happens. And I think the the talking about that, that comeback and sound probably the last point I wanted to touch upon was was the experience of China. You know, we are everyone is watching what happens in China with you know with bated breath, I guess, because it, it, it obviously it was the first first place to go through this, and it's the first place showing signs of getting out getting out of it. And from an air travel perspective, I, I, I guess the the, the concern or the worry uh, is quite predictable, I guess, is that international travel has quickly been reined back in amid the concerns that, that there's a danger of importing the coronavirus back into China. And, you know, the implication, of, I guess, is that even when the states open up and lockdowns are, are freed up, they, the international travel element of that is going to, is going to be a step beyond that. Precisely, because you think, um, reading a lot about what's going on at the moment, you do see, certainly from the general media, very often stories, so in the UK, for example, saying, oh, look, there are still flights operating to the UK from Iran, from China, um, blah, 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 countries where obviously the UK is in, in a really um, experiencing um, things pretty badly at the moment itself. But, but certainly there's, there's, I think, air, international air travel is going to face a level of scrutiny um, Media-wise, but also, yeah, as you say, we're so China has, you know, recently blocked international travel into the country as as part of its efforts to to ramp back up again. And you can even imagine, you know, um, that once certain countries feel comfortable with each other, there there may be moves to to open up restrictions. But obviously, if that came with something like, well, you can travel here, but you have to go into quarantine for 14 days when you arrive for example you know that that essentially kills that market so and and that's before we get into um what the travel experience might be and what might be required to 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 make people feel that they're safe when they are traveling particularly on long-haul flights for example so another way of looking at it is you know we've bounced back from crises before health crises not obviously anywhere near on the scale of this but um, it is it is possible, but yeah, the certainly um, the international markets are, are likely to be the the last ones to go in in terms of the restrictions being lifted and um, and and interestingly, Tony Tyler, Director General, not Tony Tyler, Alexander Duchenne, a current Director General of um, IATA, this is the point that he was making. You know that IATA would had a plan to be, you know, they wanted to work with governments and states that when the when flying resumes, is that there is some order to this, is that, you know, if it's a series of individual restrictions coming, going, being lifted on this, that, and so forth, you know, that would, that would for airlines to sort of deal with this will be, you know, uh, virtually impossible. 
you know, one of the other factors, again, when we, when we look at um, the restoration of flights, and, and as you say, the airlines have, have come back from, from, from this before, but it was quite interesting. And Mont- one of the points Monty Brewer, the uh, former Air Canada chief executive, made, you know, that he, it's, it, this is slightly different because you have airlines with, you know, cash reserves and balances, balance sheets wiped out. When they do start resuming flights, they're doing it on a on a speculative basis almost because you don't really know what demand is there, and you don't really have you know you can a flight, but you don't really have the cash balances. Normally, when you begin a new route or test a route or so forth, you've got you know the cash balances to to, mm. to enable it to get through those formative stages. Um, so you, there won't be that. So these aren't going to be challenging times when when services resume. Yeah, and I think what. It'll be interesting to see how different uh, business model, airline business models, are affected by that. Because you, you know, on the one hand, you could probably see some markets where all carriers can identify whether there's, there's going to be a level of essential travel. So you look at uh, just an example, Ryanair would um, talked about maintaining an essential link between Dublin and London, for example. Um, and those kind of markets will will exist. But as you say, beyond that, um, you know. There's certainly question marks about how different markets come back and for what reason, whether it's leisure, you know, versus the, the corporate travel and um, and all sorts of factors playing into it. So um, we know, yeah, airline CEOs um, are going to be incredibly busy um, and they'll all be working on, on plans around this and how, how they ramp up and a huge challenge, yeah, because as you say, you need you know, airlines rely on those forward bookings. So, um, again, going back to Air Baltic, um, Martin Gauss said their uh, bookings are at two percent of what they would expect at this stage, um, sort of year on year. So um, that, that gives you an idea of um, the uh, the scale of what's being faced across the industry. Well, one of the regions that has been hard hit, but has already got the promise of. Uh, government support has been uh, the USA. And um, after the break, we'll be talking to Flight Global's America's Air Transport Editor, Pilar Wolfsteller, uh, to find out more about the region there. Make sure you don't miss any episodes of the Airline Business Podcast by subscribing via your app of choice. Joining me down the line is Pilar Wolfsteller, Flight Global's America's Air Transport Editor. Pilar, this has been a really challenging few weeks for US carriers. Indeed, it has. And uh, the airlines here in the United States have been scrambling to figure out what they can salvage of their schedules now that the drop off in demand uh, has reached, uh, you know, proportions or magnitude that uh, that has never before been seen. Last week, as you know, the U.S. government passed the CARES bill, which is the coronavirus government aid assistance bill. And uh, it, there is a, a portion in it for specifically for airlines, airports and aviation related businesses to the tune of about $58 billion. So the entire package is $2 trillion. And that portion is for the airlines uh, and for the aviation related businesses to uh, to tap into. Of course, it does come with a couple of strings attached, as you would expect. Uh, and now the airlines are trying to figure out how best to, um, you know, they're, they're applying for the aid, but at the same time, they have to maintain a minimum level of service. That's creating a couple of issues because these levels of service require them to fly certain routes in certain frequencies where 
right now they're having load factors of between 13 and and 20 percent maximum. So it's creating a situation where airlines are continuing to fly the routes, albeit at a lower level than they have before, but still they are basically burning cash when they should be saving it in order to fulfill the requirements for asking for the government aid. So that's creating a little bit of of a disconnect in the industry here in the United States, at least. Of course, U.S. carriers have been very profitable over recent years, but I guess even that doesn't provide much insulation against uh, this kind of situation. I mean, everyone's struggling with the with the crisis right now, and the problem here in the United States, I think, is a bit larger than than someplace in in I would say in Europe because the distances here are so much larger and further apart. It's not practical to get into your car and drive to Florida, for example. That would take you about a week, but you can get in a plane and you can fly to Florida in six hours. So I think the network here is just because of the geography of the of the country and of the continent. Um, you know, air travel is such a much more integral mode of transportation. So the airlines are trying to figure out right now, there are still people flying, but there's not that many people flying, mm. but how do they best figure out their networks and and uh, implement their fleets so as to number one enable those people that need to still go somewhere to get there but at the same time to preserve the cash that they have or the liquidity that they have to be able to run and operate that airline for a longer period of time to bridge this crisis and nobody really knows how long is it it's going to go if it's going to be one more month two more months three more months or six more months, um, to try and operate as long as they can, and also as long as the uh, the federal money is available. Part of the bill that was passed by the U.S. government last week includes a stipulation that the airlines do not furlough or lay off their staff until September 30th, which is another six months from now. But after September 30th, all bets are off. Uh, so they've agreed to that measure. However, Time will tell if demand returns and if we as a traveling public can return to the way we were working before so that the airlines can also return to their business as it was before. And the US domestic market is huge, of course, and we've already seen in China as it takes its first steps out of the crisis that that maybe international travel will still have some restrictions as flying comes back. So for US carriers, perhaps the positive is there is this strong domestic market, which I guess may be the first flights that come back. Correct. And the flights that they're running and the flights that they're keeping on schedule are domestic flights. Many airlines have cut their international capacity and networks about 90%, most of them. Uh, I know that United has individual single flights going over to Europe where on routes that they would have 10 or 15 flights going from North America to Europe uh, under, under normal circumstances. So a lot of them have really cut down their international flying in favor of keeping a more skeleton domestic route network in operation. And in Canada, which, which is a country which has been really hard hit by the crisis and, and, and some of the restrictions and actions by carriers had come in even before those in, in America. Correct. Um, Air Canada and Transat uh, have actually been using their international or their larger aircraft now to repatriate Canadian citizens that have been stranded overseas. So last time I, I looked, I believe it was about 30,000 passengers that have been brought back to Canada. Uh, But again, here we've got international networks being cut 
unbelievably much and uh, domestic networks also being reduced. Uh, but there are certain, you know, Canada is also a very large country with a lot of difficulty getting from place to place just because of the distances. So I think the Canadian operators are trying to maintain essential services to uh, far reaching, you know, northern communities that are only able to be reached by air um, in a, in a, you know, useful amount of time. Last week, uh, WestJet's CEO, Ed Sims, gave a video message and said that they have had to furlough or lay off about 50% of their staff. This week, Air Canada said about this, said the same thing, about 50% of their staff will be laid off temporarily. It's really Canada a bloodbath as well as it is in the United States. We have an additional story that came out of Canada this week, and that is that class action lawsuit has been filed against five Canadian carriers because they have offered their passengers credit for flights and tickets that they have booked, but not refunds. And so a, a lawsuit has been brought in Vancouver against Transat, Air Canada, Swoop, WestJet, and Sunwing to ask for refunds to all the flights that have been canceled. And I've been getting a lot of reaction, just people that have been writing to me saying, how can I join this lawsuit? Um, it's it's a bit of a mess in Canada right mm. now. And, and I think a lot of people are very irate that the airlines have chosen to go this path rather than being a bit more generous and offering refunds. And South America, it, it was originally one of the last regions where coronavirus hadn't really taken hold. But, but again, the, the impact has been felt by airlines there. Indeed. I mean, to the two largest um, markets for air travel, which are Brazil and Argentina, uh, Argentina has basically closed its airspace for air travel, which is also causing, again, you know, it's, it's, it's a large country. There's 5,000 kilometers from north to south. So um, not having any availability to travel between the various regions is, is a big problem. In Brazil, uh, earlier this week, the the agency, the regulatory agency, has developed a plan that will keep um, a skeleton network operating so that the various far-flung regions can be connected to each other. But again, you know, we have last week Goal and Azul, um, you know, announced incredible reductions in capacity. Um, it's it seems to be the same story everywhere. And I, I think uh, South America has been one of the last that was hit. But uh, it, too, is, is now suffering under this global, you know, basically shutdown of the industry. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it remains to be seen how the various regions will begin to stock up their cities again. In South America as well, what I've read is that they're coming into their winter now as... In the Northern Hemisphere, we come into summer. In the Southern Hemisphere, it goes into winter. And as I understand it, the coronavirus enjoys cooler weather than warmer weather. So it remains to be seen if the South American wave of the crisis is about just about to start as they get into their cooler weather. So definitely more challenging times ahead. Pilar, thanks for your time. Thanks very much, Graham. So that's all for this time. You can find links to the stories we've referenced, including details of my interview with Etihad Chief Tony Douglas and Flight Global's special series of webinars in the podcast notes. And you can keep up to date with all the latest on how airlines are responding to the coronavirus outbreak at the newlookflightglobal.com. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And we'll see you again next time.